Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When was the last time you were at the ocean? More specifically, when was the last time you waded from the shoreline into those ocean waters? Whether it's been recently or or, or many years, I imagine you know the feeling when you wade into those waters and maybe you get about waist deep and sometimes you can really start to feel an undertow. At first, you press back against it with with your body. You don't want to get pulled too far away from from your family or or, or whomever else is joining you on the beach that day. But even if you keep at it, pressing back against the undertow, give it just a few minutes out there in the ocean. And, and even in the mildest of undertows, you eventually, right, you, you turn around and you, and you look for, for your family or, or your chairs or the house where you're staying, and, and suddenly it's, it's way over there. Undertow. It is quiet. It is invisible. And it is formidable. In today's scripture, Paul sees Timothy caught in an undertow, perhaps unaware. We're given the name of this particular undertow in verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, Paul tells Timothy. Also translated uh, a spirit of timidity or sometimes translated quite bluntly, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. Paul, in this letter, is writing in large part to encourage Timothy amid Timothy's very real reasons to fear. Timothy currently faces difficult opponents, false teachers who are in opposition to him, who are countering him in his work in ministry. He faces the prospect of dealing with more and more people who are, as Paul puts it later in his letter, chapter 3, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then on top of all of that, Timothy faces the fact that his mentor and friend in Paul is in prison for his faith, 
is aging and will soon die. So not only will Timothy continue to face this opposition, this resistance, these kind of people, he will do so without the one who's always been there for him, the one who's always walked alongside him, counseled him, guided him, encouraged him. Paul sees this all-too-familiar undertow of fear taking hold of Timothy as he's looking out at the world around him and projecting what it's going to look like soon. And truth be told, it's the same undertow that catches people and generation after generation. During one of our Zoom conversations for the the race, racism, and the church class that some of you at FPC shared in over this past summer, I remember one participant said at one point in the middle of that whole thing, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about this stuff because I feel no matter what I say, people hear it as either this side or, or that. Every comment, even every question, either makes you, you red or blue, right or left, and then one group just starts tuning you out or pushing you back, pushing back or, or no longer trusting. And I could hear the lament in this person's voice as they wanted to be able to offer thoughts, raise questions, consider nuance, contradictions, paradox, inherent to any difficult conversation, any worthy conversation. But what this person was experiencing was an undertow, powerfully at work in our society, pulling one from another. The current of fear quiets many people from speaking or acting because the repercussions from the other side or even within their own side can be quite severe, and the currents of fear are behind some of the loudest voices and actions of our day. And those those are our national waters I speak of, but but on a day-to-day basis, far more acutely, we feel the myriad of localized fears that accompany our job or job search, our health, our finances, our family amidst this pandemic. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. Those waters, that undertow, that is not what you, Timothy, that is not what you, church, that is not what you have been given. Well, then what is? Have you ever tried surfing? I've only tried a handful of times, very recent years, and it's, it's only because of an instructor that I managed eventually to stand up and ride a one or two foot wave here and there. But basically the idea is, is this, you need to hop out of the water and onto this board and lay on your surfboard. And when you start to see a wave coming in the distance, you start using your arms to paddle to get a little bit of momentum. Then just as the swell of of the wave catches the back of your board, just as the the wave's power is is starting to reach its zenith, basically you do a push-up on your board and you bring one foot forward, you plant the other one in the back, and you surf. It is a quick motion that feels terrifying and vulnerable and You're essentially trying to stand on rapidly moving water. You very well may wobble or fall, look foolish or get hurt, or you may surf. 
And I could tell you from limited experience, it is a profound thing to experience the full focus and freedom and joy of the moment when you are riding in complete sync with the gift of God's creation. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Paul is exhorting Timothy to rise from the undertow and know the freedom and joy of a different kind of spirit that's already his. In particular, Paul exhorts Timothy to know the the gift of, of that spirit by exhorting Timothy to focus afresh on Timothy's particular gift. I remind you, he writes, Timothy, to rekindle the gift of God that's within you so that you might know Jesus' power and love and self-discipline through you. Rekindle the gift. Gift there is charisma in Greek. It's a word used to describe spiritual gifts. Multiple times elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul declares that all of us have been given charisma, spiritual gifts from God that comprise the body of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, I find we have a difficult time seeing our own gifts, but if we ask those who know and love us, they usually can see it. We think nothing of the fact that maybe we're a good listener. That just comes naturally. Others, though, they keep commenting on the fact that we're a good listener because they know it's not normal or, or natural. That's not everybody's reality. Your empathy, your ability to hear another's heart into, into being and bring about healing, that's a gift. We all have spiritual charisma. Do you know yours? Paul is calling Timothy to rekindle, to fan into flame his gift. Because it's in his gift, through his gift, that a spirit, not of fear, but of Jesus' love and power and self-discipline, is made known, pours forth most fully. Or, Or put another way, Timothy, I see you are caught in the currents of fear that are not of God. As this next wave rises towards you, Raise up, stand vulnerably and fully upon that your God-given gift. That gift, by the grace of God, is the conduit of Jesus' power and love and self-discipline through you and to this world. But how? How to risk raising up in that critical moment? When the currents pull severely, when the rays roll particularly high, how is Timothy to find the courage to fan into flame this gift of God, to to, to risk standing by faith so vulnerably? What indeed can break the church from the currents of fear and free us to stand and offer our God-given gifts in this world? Come what may. Paul's tact for encouraging Timothy in this regard is deceptively simple. Timothy, as you stand in the undertow, I am reminded of the faith of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. Paul points Timothy back to his roots, his family roots, the gift of faith known in the lives of of Lois and Eunice and and passed through these folks to Timothy. And Paul also has Timothy consider Timothy's own church family. Paul talks about 
Timothy in this letter as, as a son, not, not biologically, but in recognition that in Jesus Christ, we are family. And so Paul talks as a father to a son about his, his love for Timothy, his prayers for Timothy. These are encouragements from one generation to the next. One of the gifts of Christina Bondeson's video earlier in this service is that it makes us mindful that whether we joined First Presbyterian Church six months ago or six years ago or 60 years ago, all of us are recipients of the faithful work, the faithful prayers, the faithful service, the faithful generosity, the faithful love, the faithful gifts of previous generations at FPC. All of those unfolding in times where the reasons for fear were acute. Timothy, as you stand in that undertow, I am reminded of, and I want to remind you of, the faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and lived in your mother, Lois, uh, Eunice. Virginia Sedgwick Weatherby, that was my grandmother on my mother's side. One of my earliest memories of being at my grandma's house was this one drawer that she had. You would open it, and it would be filled with ketchup packets. Some honey packets, some salt and pepper packets, but, but especially ketchup. McDonald's ketchup packets, Wendy's, Burger King's. You could tell some of them had been there for many, many years because you could see how the company logos had changed over the years. Now, Grandma was well off enough to afford her own ketchup. But if you grew up a child of the Depression and in a time of that profound fear, something deep within your soul knew that for the rest of your life, at any moment, everything really could be taken away. And so there was a wisdom into holding on to even the smallest of things, just in case you needed it and or your neighbor needed it. Having had nothing in her formative years made my grandmother deeply empathetic to anyone who might have any semblance of her kind of situation. That, coupled with her God-given gift for generosity, that was her surfboard, that was her thing. Those two coupled together prompted my grandma to respond a certain way in 1967. She was in the church office talking to the secretary at, at the Presbyterian Church there in Cincinnati, where they attended, and a woman with a couple of children comes in, and they're hungry. The father's out in the car with a couple other children. They've, they've come from Georgia for a family funeral, and the father has lost his job for choosing to come to this service. Well, Grandma goes and buys some groceries and tells this family to be at this church the, the very next day. She's going to go and, and figure some things out. Well, a few phone calls later, she, she's had folks donating some food and some clothing, she had some folks working on, on job possibilities. Her efforts were, were so successful, she was given a whole closet within this Presbyterian church that very week so that she could operate a, a food and clothing center for as long as she wanted to. Now, mind you, she, she'd never done something like this. She had no experience running any sort of operation out of the church or the business world or otherwise, but... But she did have the spiritual gift from God of generosity. 
and she began to risk standing on that. Soon, she needed two closets for all the donations that were coming in and the people who were connecting their needs to this closet. And and soon, she needed a whole classroom in that church basement. Eventually, she needed the entire basement of another church in the community a mile down the road. The Presbyterian church didn't have enough space. Eventually, she needed a whole building dedicated to their efforts of what became known as the Valley Interfaith Food and Clothing Center, still in existence in Cincinnati, Ohio, which assists with food and clothing and job training and housing assistance. Virginia... Sedgwick Weatherby. Who are your Loises and your Eunices? Whose faith now lives in you? Who in your biological family or church family or both have you seen stand amid plenty of reason for fear? You have seen them stand upon their gift from God, and so you have seen the power and love and self-discipline of Jesus through them precisely because they stood and trusted. And even when they didn't trust or didn't completely trust, Jesus was faithful, right, even to work out those wobbles. Who are your Loises and Eunices? It is tiring to be dragged by undertow for a prolonged period of time. The body wearies of fighting it constantly. The body tires of being bowled over by it. The body laments finding itself pulled quite far from where it wanted to be. And in the final analysis, if you stay in that undertow too long, the body exhausts, and those particular waters quench the fire of faith. You are left with, in the words of Paul, perhaps a form of godliness, but no power. The only way to deal with the undertow is to get onto another plane of reality entirely, namely the kingdom of God. What would it look like to stand in these fearful times, not upon anger and vengeance, not upon a political platform or a bank account, but foremost upon Jesus and specifically upon the gift he has given us to steward for such a time as this? And if stepping out and standing forth so vulnerably is a terrifying prospect, then let us take a few moments to remember our roots, the saints who have gone before us and risk that fearful step. Then, as the waters swell behind us, May their lives prove the extra measure of encouragement that draws our legs up from under us to stand for such a time as this and discover the spirit of power and love and self-discipline flowing through our being and unto this world. Perhaps then one day our names shall join the likes of Eunice, Lois, and Virginia and sit on the lips of those future generations caught in the undertow, longing to be free. Amen.